welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. If you would turn with me to Psalms chapter 1, Psalms chapter 1, we are going to be hanging out in the book of Psalms during the month of July, preaching on different uh, specific Psalms. Um, Josh led us off with the study of man last week and went to Psalm 8 um, and did a great job describing what we believe about man. If you missed that message, um, I would encourage you to go back, listen to it online. It was a powerful uh, message about just the doctrine of man. It's a great starting point. If we understand ourselves, um, it gives us, um, and then we understand who God is, it really brings together a lot of confusing theology and scripture. So I believe uh, if, you, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 448 or somewhere around there. We have a couple of different versions of scripture um, or editions, I should say. So around page 448, Psalm chapter one. Now, just a couple of general things about Psalms as we jump into this. Psalms was written over 3,000 years ago. So about a thousand years before Christ was even walked the earth, um, the collection of psalms began. Um, it's really a gathering of generational gathering. Um, it's a songbook and a prayer book all in one. It'd be like the greatest hits of worship over the years of Israel's worship. It would be a collection of those, um, and that's what we look at as psalms. It's a songbook and a prayer book. David wrote a lot of the psalms, and it's kind of like a glimpse into his personal journal. Um, a lot of life experiences, um, those of you who like the journal and it's kind of a therapeutic thing that you use to connect with God and kind of examine yourself, this is a lot of what is going on through the book of Psalms. Um, it doesn't follow the rest of the narrative of the Old Testament, kind of takes a break. And what, what Psalms does, and it's a beautiful thing, is it kind of opens the curtain on the narrative of the Old Testament and kind of gives us a glimpse behind the scenes of how God works in the inner life of his people. New Testament talks a lot about our relationship with Christ, but the Old Testament kind of just follows this narrative, and then Psalms kind of just opens the curtain and says, here's how God works in the life of his child. And so we get to see that come out of off the pages of Psalms. And because it deals with the inner life of people, it is able to shine a light on so many of the big questions of the human soul. The big questions of the human soul. Now, there's certain questions that people wrestle with, um, generation after generation after generation. And so today, Psalm 1 is going to give us a glimpse and help us answer the question that many of us are either asking this morning or have asked, and that is, why am I not happy? Okay, why am I not happy? Or maybe another way to say it is, what is happiness? Now, I guarantee a lot of us are asking that question in this room, and I want to encourage you that everyone on every outside walls here, going that way and that way, that way and that way, are asking this question this morning as they wake up, why am I not happy? So a couple quick questions for you this morning. As you sit here, um, are you happy? Now people are like, is this a trick question? Some of you are trying to like smile to show me that you are happy. Yes, I'm happy. Are you happy? Maybe another way to ask this would be, um, in your, if your life, okay, from this point forward stayed the same, your situation did not improve, your marital status was the same, your financial situation 
stayed exactly the same. Your body, the chronic pain that you feel, didn't get any better. Could you be happy with your life? Could you be happy with your life? You ever considered that happiness, the word happy, is one of the saddest words in the English language? It's, it's, it's ironic, but like the word happy is one of the saddest words in our language. And here's why. Everybody wants it, but so few people actually ever have it. And then the people that do actually think they finally have it, they come to the quick realization that they actually never really had it. It like slips through their fingers. You know, when we're young, happiness seems inevitable, doesn't it? When you're a young child, happiness seems inevitable. When the world is before you and you're looking through the eyes of a little child, happiness just seems like it's going to come. You're going to find that perfect person. You're going to land that job, that career. And I know when you're a kid, it changes every week of what you want to be when you grow up. But you, you still look at it and say, man, I'm going to be that someday. Happiness seems inevitable. It just happens. Um, you're going to land the perfect job. You're just going to have kids like everyone else. Like, don't you just assume that? But like, have the ability to have as many kids as I want. The house you wanted that you grew up next to, you're going to get that house someday. Your favorite hobby that you do every weekend is going to fulfill you. And someday, someday way off in the distance, your grandkids are going to call you every weekend when they can't come visit your house. Um, and that's just going to happen. But something happens when we get older and the older we get, Happiness turns from something that is inevitable to sometimes something that seems unattainable. Like, it's, it's like a, a mirage. Like, man, if I could only, if I could only. And we achieve much of the list. Some of the things, like, we, a lot of us go right down that checklist. Boom. Perfect. I got the, the girl I wanted, okay? I got the guy I wanted. Got that house. Landed that job. I'm making the money. But it's interesting how a lot of those things don't satisfy us, do they? We thought they would but they don't. They leave us unfulfilled. And this is the pattern, okay? This is the pattern of millions of people every day that wake up and are born and then go through life, die, never achieving. And this is the sad part, never really understanding what true happiness is all about. And so this morning, I think Psalm 1 does a great job for us as believers. It gives us a great template to look at this word happiness to say this is what happiness really, 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 really is, according to God. And then, hey, let's go show those outside of these walls what happiness really is. So Psalm chapter one, what's the first word? If you're looking, let's, let's I'm doing no screens today because I want us to be like looking at the pages, okay? So what do we got? What's the first word, Psalm 1-1? Let's say it together. Blessed. Blessed is the man, okay? Uh, that word blessed is the Hebrew word ashray. It literally means Happy. Okay, everyone say that. Happy, okay? First word of all the Psalms, 150 Psalms, the first word is happy, is the man. Now, ladies, just for a second here, the Hebrew translation there is that is man, that is a person that's gender, it doesn't matter what gender you are. It's an example of someone that is godly, a godly person. So that person there has no male or female context, so you guys don't have to leave or check out. It's everyone in the room. Blessed is the person would be a great way to start this psalm. It's what it's literally translated. Blessed is the person. So we'd be wise to listen. Out of the gate, um, just got to say this though, one of the main obstacles to you being happy is who? You. One of the main obstacles to you being happy is you. And this is the problem. Josh talked about this last week so beautifully is our instinct as human beings, okay, is that our, <laughs> our instinct is me. Our agenda is me. Like, 
I love Brian, okay? I really do. I love myself. Um, and every day I have to battle loving myself, loving me, loving my agenda, loving what I want to accomplish for the day, loving uh, what I want to accomplish in life. And so we're all at a disadvantage of finding happiness because of our sin nature. Wasn't that how it all began? Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, wanted to be something. It was selfishly motivated. And so just in case there's anybody in this room who's sitting here going, well, I'm, you know, I got my stuff together. I'm, I'm in order. I'm, I'm okay here. Romans 3.10 has this beautiful verse that says, there is none righteous, no, not one. So all of us face this obstacle when it comes to like really finding true happiness. And the biggest obstacle is me as I sit here this morning. And so Psalm 1.1 does a great job. It's, it gives us the first key. So I'm going to give you some, you always hear this as like the lingo, just find the key to happiness, okay? I'm going to give you some keys to happiness this morning as we go through this verse. So Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Pretty all-encompassing. Walk, stand, sit. Pretty much sums up everything you would do in a day. Uh, just to kind of break down, it seems like it kind of is repeating itself there. Like, why does he have to say three times, the counsel of the wicked stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers? The psalmist there is using three different things to kind of be all-encompassing. The wicked there, if you look at that word wicked, it means that they are just flesh followers. They have no aim or direction in life. So they're kind of just wandering from anything. Oh, my flesh is telling me this. I'm going this way. The flesh is telling me this. I'm going this way. Um, it's like those Pac-Man things that go just around aimlessly, okay? That's what this is, that first word. It's just aimlessly following the flesh. Sinners, the next one, um, this is the idea that they would... So back in the day, we don't see this as much, except if you go to like downtown, like Schwanksville or Doylestown, where you have the outdoor market feel going on. Um, they, you would, people set up shop. They set up stands um, to sell different things. This has that idea of someone who sets up a sinful shop. They're just there. They're camped out in sin. Their life revolves around sin. They set up shop. And it says there, don't stand anywhere near that. People that are setting up shop in sin. Then the scoffer, the last one, scoffing has to do with the mouth. People that go against the things that God says, it says, don't even sit with them. You know, people would gather in that day around the city hubs, um, especially around where they worshiped. Worship areas were the gathering point, And you had people who would go there and just scoff. Scoff, scoff. And he's saying, don't get anywhere near there. So as you do life, okay, there's going to be, none of this is, okay, breaking news. You ready for this? As you do life, there's going to be daily opportunities to gratify your flesh in areas that do not please God. It's your instinct. It's what we desire. Matthew 7, 13 says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So scripture just supports itself so many times. It says like living for your flesh is the easy thing, isn't it? Like it's, it seems to make sense when we wake up. It's like what we naturally desire so much, especially before we have Christ. And so you see here in this first verse that the first thing, the first key to happiness, and this is like just goes against everything that we would see anywhere else. The first key to happiness is to deny and destroy sinful habits. Deny ourselves sinful habits and destroy sinful habits. Have nothing to do with them. Now, if you just stopped there and we're like, man, that's a great start to giving the keys to happiness, deny yourself. Is that something you're going to hear out there? 
Absolutely not. We'll come back to that in a second. And then look at verse two. Okay, so we're, the first thing is de- deny yourself sinful habits. The second thing is delight yourself in something. But, the, the, but his delight, okay, so the blessed, happy person delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, God's law, he meditates day and night. So law means instruction there, just to be clear. What is law? Law is instruction. So we delight in the instruction of the Lord. It's like, man, we were excited. No one had to tell me when I first started dating Kristen and when I was falling in love with her, that initial thing, no one had to say like, Brian, today you need to delight yourself in Kristen. Like it was what was running through my mind constantly. I'm like, man, I love this girl. I got to get her. And it was like the constant thought of my mind. That's kind of that same idea is we delight ourselves. It's we love the instruction of the Lord then that meditation word is important, okay? Because it's right there, that's what it says, and on his law, he meditates. Um, during this time, meditation was not what we thought, think of. What do we think of when we think of meditation in today's world? What do we do? Um, you know, I can't do that. That's about as far as I go. That's my flexibility right there, okay? Um, right there, and we think of someone sitting there and just going, hmm, I love the law. You know, and they do that over and over again. Meditation during this time was done in two ways. It was the public reading of God's word, instruction, which is actually what that law means. So it was the public reading. This is how people meditated. And the second way, it was out loud discussion or conversation, okay? Like not with a phone, like talking to one another, like face-to-face, okay? That's what meditation was during this time is that it was a constant hearing God's word. It was read aloud. And then they would go out and talk about it. So it says, someone that is happy delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it, talks about it, listens to it, hears about it all the time, and they love that. The part of, like, again, me gets in the way, um, an example of this. So, so our thoughts are on something else other than ourselves, which is, is hard for a lot of us. Uh, the Scientific American uh, it's a science journal. Adrian Ward wrote an article called The Neuroscience of Everybody's Favorite Topic. Anybody want to guess who everybody's favorite topic is? Selves. There's a good country song. I like to talk about me, 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 me. That's, that's a great, it kind of encompasses what a lot of us, how we function. And the, the article went out, that did some clinical research, said if you're like most people, you, your own thoughts and experiences may be your favorite topic of conversation. On average, people spend 60% of conversations talking about themselves. And this figure jumps to 80% when communicating via social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. Why in the world, or why in a world full of ideas to discover and develop and discuss, do people spend the majority of their time talking about themselves? And this was the, this was, the whole research was based around this, because it makes you feel good. Because it makes you feel good. And so it's interesting, like, <laughs> what's our first two keys to happiness? One, deny yourself things that you want. Man, we're off to a great start. The second thing, okay, is, is build and develop habits that are based around Scripture, instruction, God's thoughts, not yourself. Wow. This, like, if I set up shop and started like, hey, I'm going to like, counsel you on how to be happy, I would have no customers, okay? Um, and it wouldn't go really well. So question time. Like, how many of you, if you just think about your life, how much of your life is spent indulging yourself? Just like, doing things that you want to do, okay? It might be why you're not happy. My second question would be, how much is, of the time do you spend just talking about yourself? Sometimes, this is why community is beautiful. Sometimes we need to tell people that we love that they, all they do is talk about themselves. 
That, like, seriously, I've had people tell me that, and it's a beautiful thing. Wow, thank you. I don't want to be a person that talks all about myself. Um, you have to build relationships to do that. It doesn't mean I just walk up to somebody I don't know in here and say, dude, shut up. You just talk about yourself. <laughs> That's not how we do it. No, we, we build relationships so that we can say, hey, Rod, you just talk about yourself all the time, and your jokes aren't even funny, okay? Um, all right? Seriously. But that's, that is what, okay? This is the beginning of this. So this is, this is a crazy idea. Um, if you look up happiness on WikiHow, how to be happy, here's, and this is where it gets serious as Christians, okay? If you look up how to be happy on the internet, here's some things that it'll tell you. Own yourself. Don't apologize for who you are, just be you. Number two, be optimistic. Number three, follow your gut. Number four, make enough money to meet your basic needs. Number five, treat your body like it deserves to be happy. And number six, smile. That's, that's some advice that someone who's just alone, desperate, searching for happiness, they type it into the internet and that's what's going to come up. We can do better than that because we have the hope of what's in here. Now, these sound good. A lot of these sound, and they will bring temporary happiness, some of these. Um, but what about when, like, th these are all surface repairs. This is like Band-Aids on open soul wounds when you start walking through these. Because go through this again. Own yourself. But what if there's serious flaws that you know exist and need changing? Do I just ignore it? No. Be optimistic, which sounds great, but what if your life is a huge mess with no promise of anything changing? How long does optimism really last in the heart of somebody? Really? I mean, how long does optimism last? It sounds good. Do we just ignore the facts? Then follow your gut. If I followed my gut, oh my word. Seriously. Like, can anybody say amen to that? Like, if I followed my gut in my flesh, even post-Christ working in my heart, I would be in a lot of trouble. Follow your gut. You'll be happy. Make enough money to meet your basic needs, which sounds awesome until you get the call one day that says, hey, guess what? Thanks for your service. You're getting laid off and you don't have a job. And then, like, who's some of the most miserable people that you know? They have more than enough to pay their basic needs, right? There's some, a lot of wealthy people that have plenty of money and they're not happy at all. Treat your body like it deserves to be happy. Now, this is good until cancer attacks someone. Does cancer only attack unhappy people? No. And then smile. This is good. If nothing else works, just fake and pretend that you're happy and everything will be okay. See, the problem with all of these um, is that I'm the center of happiness. Then you read verses like this, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Powerful verses that go against any, a lot of the truth that's being spilled out there that says this is how you find happiness. Happiness will never be gained if self is the starting point. There's gotta be something deeper. There's gotta be something more that we sink our teeth into that say, okay, if 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 that's how happiness is found, let's go a little deeper with this. So verse three brings in a beautiful picture. Verse three and verse four are really, they bring together the whole chapter. Everything else leans kind of in on this 
these two verses. They're like the backbone. Um, Let's just read these together. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So here we, he opens this up. He says, keys to happiness, verses one and two. Do these two things. Then he says, this is what the repercussions are if you do this. This is where happiness is gonna, like the rubber meets the road. So in the continued contrasting of the godly and ungodly, those who walk with God are like trees with deep roots beside streams of water. The ungodly, by contrast, are like chaff. Everyone say that's a cool word to say, chaff. Wow, everyone say it, chaff, okay? Chaff is the seed of wheat. They would throw it up in the air and the wind would take away the seed because it was so light and then they could actually have the wheat seed that they wanted, chaff. And it's powerful words there. It says, the wicked are not so. They don't prosper, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So verse three kind of gets real when it talks about happiness. I just want to walk through, okay, this verse because this is huge. I think this is really the foundation for us leaving here today and understanding biblically what happiness is. So he is like a tree. It's it's great. I love when scripture does this. It gives us a visual so that we can actually see a tree. Now, we all might be seeing different trees right now because wherever you live, you might have that tree, but we're all seeing a tree right now. Planted by the streams of water. It's interesting there, the, the tree that we're talking about is planted. Do wild trees get planted? No, they're just, that's a great question. It's not like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it. But like wild trees are just there. Like now sometimes farmers come and they plant trees, but this tree is planted in a specific spot for a specific purpose. This tree is in a specific location. And that location is by streams of water. What's one of the most basic necessities that humans have to have? If you don't have it, you quickly die. Water. Humans need water. And here's the promise of this verse, okay? Not only am I going to plant you where I want you, you're not going to plant yourself. You're going to be rooted where I want you to be rooted. But here's what you're going to have. Streams of water. Not just a stream of water. Streams there is plural. It's plural on purpose. Planted by streams of water. Now this is like, walk through this with me, okay? This is like the intense part where we're going to walk through this verse very specifically. Human soul needs water. Psalm 42.1, water is used a lot in Scripture to kind of give us a glimpse of like what the soul needs, just like what the human body needs. Psalm 42.1 says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Man, we can all see that. The deer that needs water, they all go to the streams to drink. If you live near a stream, you see the deer at certain times of the day coming to drink water. That right there is what our soul needs, living, flowing, grace-filled water that deepen our roots and grow us. These are the results of a happy person. This is what you're gonna see happen. And then I love just the parallel passage, John chapter four. Let's turn there, we got time. John chapter four, let's go back to the New Testament. John 4, we just spent our whole youth retreat camped out in John chapter 4 in the beginning of the year, and just kind of direct your attention to verse 17. Here we have the Samaritan woman, 
that no one would talk to, especially a Jewish, no Jew would talk to a Samaritan, and especially a female, due to the cultural things that were happening. And so we see this beautiful picture unfold where Jesus sends the disciples, they go, and they're going to get food because they're hungry. And then verse 7 happens in John 4. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. I messed it up, but you guys are following with me so closely that you see it. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, she doesn't get it yet, but she's going too soon. I can't go through the whole passage. But you see this beautiful picture that we see from Psalm chapter one that says, okay, if you're gonna be happy at the root of happiness is the streams of living water, that salvation, that, that stability in deep roots. What is one of the things that humans crave? Stability and security, right? We need water and, and that provides stability and security. And we see here that Jesus uses this language to say, to really meet your soul needs and to give your soul stability, you need to drink from living water where you will never, ever, ever, ever thirst again. Wow. Love that visual streams of water. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul. So now what's the next line in this verse? It yields its fruit in its season. Here we see another human element that this tree and this person, that rep the tree represents a person, this happy person will yield its fruit in its season. Um, season used in scripture often represents life, the seasons. Okay, like we have seasons here in Pennsylvania. You go to Florida, they only have a couple seasons. Up here, we have the seasons. It's a blessing to see the different seasons, but seasons often represent life. And so we see here that people that are happy and blessed have a purpose in life and they're fulfilling that purpose. They're producing fruit in their season, in their life. So just as salvation must be our source, the water, the streams of water are our source, then something comes. As we grow, we produce fruit. Now, we know this, uh, if you're accustomed with the water, you understand Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that says the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Another word to say that is the fruit of salvation. As the Holy Spirit works in us, every one of us produces fruit, or should. It's one of the great signs of saying, if someone comes to me and says, I just don't know if I'm saved. Now, in our non-judgmental culture, we say, well, it's just, how do you feel? Now you say, well, what, what in your life is, is pointing to the fact that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you are truly, truly, truly converted, there will be fruit that is produced. God's too powerful for you not to produce fruit in your life. The problem is probably you. So Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit, 
the fruit of salvation. And then look at the next line. And it says, and its leaf does not wither. What does that mean? There's an eternal component to happiness. True happiness is not based on circumstances of your life. That's important to note. Now, circumstances affect your emotional state. They affect your outview on a day. But circumstances cannot determine your true happiness. And we see that this, if you jump down to verse 5, let's just go there real quick. You see the eternal side of what happiness looks like. Because then he goes through verse 4, and then verse 5, he says, Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is one of the most like, amazing realities, and it was talked about Ray, Ray sharing the testimony of his mom. You know, a lot of people that are not religious or don't do the whole God thing, they look at us Christians and say, you guys use your religion as a crutch. Like, Ray would share a testimony like that. I've had people say this to me, and they're like, there's a morning person who, instead of just facing the, the struggle of his mom dying, is going to play the God card and say, oh, well, she's in heaven. You know, that she's happy. She's dancing with Jesus, you know. And we use, like, anybody that doesn't do the God thing, they, they look at this and they go, you guys are crazy. Like, if you think you're going to tie your happiness in a tough situation of losing your mom and you're going to say that you're happy that she passed away and is with Jesus, you're nuts. You ever, like, felt kind of defensive about that and be like, Maybe I do do that. Maybe I do use my religion. Absolutely not. This is the hope that we have. This is like why it's beautiful to sit here and share tears together to say, you're right, brother. Your mother, if she had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, is with Jesus today because God's word says so. And we can confidently and hopefully say that this is where at the root of happiness is that our happiness is not based on today, yesterday, or tomorrow. I meant to say yesterday, today, or tomorrow, okay? It's not based on that. It has an eternal perspective, which is huge. And it's so, 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 so hard for us to grasp the eternal, isn't it? Because we are creatures of now. We, are ha- we have the habits of now. And so you see here, its leaf does not wither. It, it means that it just, it's never gonna go away. There's the eternal component to things. And so as you look at your life circumstances, our ability to experience true happiness on this earth has to take eternity into consideration. It has to. If you're just living for now and the seasons of now, you are going to be a miserable person. In all that he does will prosper is the last line of this verse. And again, we're hanging out here because this verse is so crucial. In all he does, it, he will prosper. Prosper is a dangerous word in our culture. Um, it can lend itself to, uh, like, if I love God, then I will make more money in my job. If I love God, that thing that I just can't have, God will give me. You know, like that's, and I've been guilty of that. Like, God, if I'm just more faithful in this area, will you bless me, right? And when you begin to understand how God looks at prospering, um, it's so important that we see God's perspective on what it means to prosper. I'll never forget this guy on a, I worked construction for a lot of years. Um, I say that like a lot of years. It seemed like a lot of years. Six years for me on construction site was really tough, okay? I mean, it sounds like I'm about to retire and it's been like 35 years. Um, I spent six years on a construction site. A um, lot of awesome experiences. God taught me so much. We had a paint contracting business and we would be on these jobs. Um, one of the jobs that I'm talking about is Penn State Berks. We built the science building and we were helping paint that. And so you're on the job with these guys for like months on end. And there was this one older gentleman there um, who was just the most miserable man on the face of the earth. I mean, 
I would say like, good morning, and it would be like, bleep you. Like, that's how he like functioned. And like, everyone would just kind of scatter when he would come down the hallway. People would be diving out of the way. And uh, it was really sad, but like, I took it as a challenge of like, I'm going to get to know this guy. Uh, and so I would try to talk to him, just didn't get anywhere. But you know what he, every day everyone would kind of gather in this lunch area, and you know when he would get extremely excited and happy about life? 42 more days till retirement. 41 more days till retirement. His face would light up. He'd be so happy about things. And then when, the, when it was time to go back to work, ah, slam the lunchbox, get back to work, miserable. Every day, miserable. But the clock was counting, counting down, boom, boom, boom. He couldn't wait to retire. He would talk about it. That's the only thing he would talk about. That's, that's how I know, because I tried to connect with him and talk about other things in life. I'm getting this. And you know what he was so excited about is he was going to buy his camper, and he was going to travel around the country and just camp. Like, he, he had been looking forward. So I started talking to his coworkers. He's like, oh, my word. You're annoyed by this? We've been hearing about this for 10 years, okay? He's been talking about this stinking camper for 10 years. He bought it last year. He just goes out and cleans it every day, and he's excited about camping. You want to know what happened? We're on the, I didn't see him one day. His friends were like, yeah, he retired. He's off. And everyone's like, yay. And uh, three days later, massive heart attack, dead. Boom. Think about that. His whole source of happiness was looking forward to a temporary time in his life, a season of life when he was going to go travel around and live a life of leisure for himself. Never experienced it. Well, maybe three days or however many, how long it was. And all he does is prosper. So many times we look at prospering as just kind of the things that we, we want to experience. I want to give one practical example of this, okay? Um, I want to turn to Acts 16. Just one practical to close. Acts 16. Let's go there. We're just going to look to say, hey, is this possible to really have true happiness? See, we have no control over our circumstances. Some of us in this room have lost loved ones in the last couple of weeks, and it hurts, and it's hard, um, and we wish that we didn't lose them. Like, you literally can plan out your whole life, and you can't control what's going to happen in your life. It's one of the most humbling things as a person. But we have a God who does have control over our circumstances, who promises to never leave us, forsake us. He's going to give us a helper, the Holy Spirit, promise after promise. But here's an example, okay? I, this is just... It's almost laughable how joyful Paul and Silas are in this moment. Go to verse 25. We have the story here of Paul and Silas, and they've been thrown into jail, unjustly accused, doing things that they illegally were allowed to do, but certain people didn't like because there was wealth to be gained. Okay, so the rich people of the town said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, you're not taking away our person who tells us what the future is. You cast the the devil out of her, we're going to put you in jail. And here is where we just see Psalm 1 lived out. And this is where we can live out Psalm 1. So verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Stop. Um, Jail today, like we watch like Locked Up on TV and we're like, man, like jail's not fun, but like, I don't think we have the right picture of what jail looked like back in this day. They would sit back to back, um, and they had one bar that would go between the middle of them. Hands were locked up. They were sitting back to back, dark, cold, animals, feces, everything you can think of. Um, And then it says that they were 
singing and praying, singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. Wait, the jailer washed their wounds. What a transformation. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. Um, Has the threat of him being put to death gone away for this jailer? Absolutely not. Like if you were let prisoners out on this day, you were put to death, hence why he was going to kill himself. So instead, Paul and Silas, in their unfounded, crazy joy in prison, start singing hymns and quoting scripture and delighting and meditating in the law of the Lord as they sit in prison and look at the effects of what happens. God works, true joy. Like their circumstances were terrible in that moment. They, weren't, they didn't have any hope of coming out alive, but in that moment, they embrace and meditate streams of living water. Their roots are being deepened. They're meditating on the law of the Lord and what happens, God works in an amazing way. But then here's what happens. Instead of like, if that was me and the whole thing goes down and like all of a sudden my, my chains are gone and the doors fling open, what are most of us doing in that situation? Running. Don't act like you wouldn't, okay? <laughs> Running. We're like, I'm out of here. I'm free. Thank you, God. Peace, okay? And on your way by, you see that as they, they, they stay there and they say, uh-uh, the comfortable thing right now, the thing that would make me happy is run, flee, get out of here. But when you have this unfounded happiness and joy, it causes you to stop and say, you know what? My self-security needs to be put on pause here, and I need to look at God's sovereignty for a second. God has me here for this reason. Life is tough. I've been locked up. I may get locked up again if I stop, but I'm going to go to this jailer. I'm going to say, sir, don't do that. I have living water for you. You will never thirst again. I have truth for you. And that can only come out of a heart that is happy because they're delighting in what God has done in their lives. What a powerful example. I mean, you could go on and on in this. Like the the jailer's saved. His whole household is baptized. We need to be found as Christians. I'll just ask this question. Would you be guilty? Would your friends around you charge you with guilt of being a happy person? Oh, how the world needs happy Christians. Just like that example of Paul said, we need Christians who are happy, not in an earthly, like, I just got a new car happy, okay? We need Christians who are like, no, life is tough sometimes. I recognize that your life is, but let me tell you about something that's deeper. My roots are deeper than just earthly things. I'm gonna ask the the music team to come up. We're just gonna close in singing a song, but as they're coming up and preparing to, to lead us in worship, of song, um, just a few takeaways, okay? As we talk through this, 
This is something to remember. Our genuine happiness is sometimes going to be seen through our most genuine hurts and pains. It's a matter of fact. It's tough. I loved your testimony this morning of your husband and sharing that pain because, man, that right there in that moment is an opportunity for you as a believer to say, this is terrible, but God is bigger than this situation, this circumstance. I mean, that's how, that, that's crazy, okay? But that's how we have to look at life. The world needs us to do that. Paul always said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I'd ask you these questions. I'm just talking to you as believers right now. Hopefully you are. Are you delighting and meditating in God's word? Are you getting into God's word? This is so important. Getting into God's word does not start with a reading plan. It starts with repentance, okay? I work with teenagers. So many teenagers come to me and say, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to spend time in his word. You know where that starts? I don't hand them a paper and say, start reading the Bible. I say, get on your face, cry out to God and repent and say, God, I need you to work in my life right now. I'm broken. I don't, I, I, I'm not feeling this, God. I need you to break down my walls and work in my life. That is the avenue of happiness. That's where it starts. Nothing else will satisfy. The other thing that's just so important and in those first few verses is your community matters. Those first three verses say, blessed, happy is the man who avoids this type of community, the scoffer, the sinner. Your community, the people around you matter. Christians, your friends are your future, okay? Right now, your friends, the people that are your friends are your future. Parents, your kids' friends are who, you want a glimpse of who your kid's gonna be in the future? It's their friends. Cold hard fact, they can come here on a Sunday and hear an inspirational message, changes nothing. Their friends are who they will become in life. So for you, as you sit here, whether you're a teen, an adult, it doesn't matter, single person, married, you have to build a community that is gonna be, point you in the right direction a biblical direction to say, here, here's what happiness is. Here's what it looks like. Last, if you're not a child of God, I would encourage you today, like, I'm not gonna, like, just sugarcoat it. Like, you will not get to experience true happiness if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It won't happen. You can try. You can fill it with all kinds of things. You can win the lottery tomorrow and go sail off on a yacht. You won't be happy. Okay, so I would encourage you today, whether it's during the last song or at the end of the message, come talk to me, talk to someone that you know here and say, well, I want to understand what this looks like to repent, turn from my sins and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the source of all joy and happiness. Scripture says in your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God, I pray that you would tear down those areas, those circumstances, those obstacles that we're putting before you, that we're looking to for happiness, that we're trying to build on our own. God, I pray that we would look to you as the true source. God, help us, those of us that are just dry in our spiritual walks when it comes to meditating on your word. God, I pray that you would break us, break us, break us, break us of the walls that we've put up when it comes to engaging your law, your instruction, and your word. We know you'll work. We know you can do amazing things in our lives, God. In your name, amen.